0: Welcome to Kingdom Light Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. Great, so we are busy with a sermon series called Fixed Focus. Fixed Focus, and it's our third week, and, um, and it's been a good sermon series. It's been blessing me as I'm going through this, and as I'm reading, and as I'm, I'm studying, and, as I'm, and God just starts speaking to me in terms of my personal focus onto Him. How many of you have, have changed your perspective a bit of how you think and focus? Come on. I mean, it, it needs to. You know, um, I sat with somebody this week and said, man, he made it so intentional that as, as Sunday passed, that he worked through that sermon in that week personally to see how can he step it through and make that a truth in his life. So in week one, we've looked at the importance to keep your focus. Remember that? To keep your focus. Because we lose our focus. Remember the story of Peter. We spoke about Peter walking on the water, climbing out of the boat, looking his eyes, fixing his eyes on Jesus, and then suddenly lost his focus because of the waves and the wind and the stuff. And the things around him, he started sinking. And, and in this series, we've used the illustration of an eagle. And that's why I've got an eagle up there. You see, eagles are incredible things. Incredible creations of God. Man, I love it. Um, if you go and study the eagle, it's incredible how an eagle's eyes are phenomenal. An eagle's eyes can see its prey 3 and, 3.2 kilometers away. I think some of us can't even walk 3.2 kilometers. That, I mean, an eagle can see 3.2 kilometers, and, and some of the scientists say it can actually see the type of prey. That's how good it sees. But the incredible thing about an eagle's eyes is when it attacks its its prey, its, its muscles and the eyes continually adjust as it, as it flies and adjusts and attacks. But the great thing about this is an eagle has the ability to, to keep focus, not just to keep focus, to maintain its focus through the attack. No matter what storm we go through, no matter what we step through, what we do, is we as Christians need to need to get ourselves to keep and to maintain focus, no matter what the storm is. And God started speaking to me through this thing, and that's how our sermon series got birthed. I really believe that God created us with the spiritual ability to keep focus like an eagle. God uses creation to teach us and to groom us. No matter what the world throws at us, we have the ability in our spirit to keep focus. And to keep our focus, no matter what you face. Now, in week two, last week, um, I don't know how many of you joined us, but it was a fun sermon. We looked at the power of declaration. The power of your words in your life. And how we need to steward it. Because our words and our declarations and our confessions direct our lives. You see, we, we looked at how Jesus through declaring the word dealt with temptation in the most vulnerable place of his life. He went into the desert, he fasted 40 days, and the enemy came. Like he usually do when you at the most broken, the most tired, the enemy comes, and he started accusing. And Jesus just said, know this. This is what the word says. This is what the word says. And, and it was such an incredible time. So if you, if you want to go back, listen to the sermons on our website you will be blessed. So, you see, see, all of us somewhere in our lives have to face a vulnerable moment. We do. We face vulnerable moments. We, save, we face tough moments. We face temptations in our lives. And the answer lies in the power of God's Word. But not just God's Word, His Word through our mouths. How we declare and how we confess and what we say. So our core theme or our core scripture for this series is Hebrews 12 verse 2. And Amplified, it says, Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus. Focusing our eyes on Jesus. Who is the author and perfecter of our faith? Isn't that amazing? Now, I I wanted to use the Amplified because it says so well. It says, focusing your eyes on Jesus. The the New King James says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now today I want to continue looking at things that distract our focus away from Jesus. How many of you love oysters? Come on. Repentance time. (laughs) Nobody. Come on. Some people love oysters. 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 Oh, oh! there we go. Come on, oyster, oy- oyster fans. Now, if you speak to an oyster farmer or an oyster fisherman or some people who dive the stuff out and they collect the oysters to eat and they will always tell you one thing. Out of a batch of oysters that the farmers, a farmer or harvesters have, there's always a bunch of them that is empty inside when they open an the oyster. Did you know that? Now, the problem is this. They're called whelks or sea slugs. You remember, you, we pick up the nice shells, but it's actually a slug inside called a whelk. Now, a whelk goes and, it's, it goes and it sits on top of an oyster and it draws a hole in the oyster and then it sucks every bit of that oyster empty. It's incredible, isn't it? Now, because of whelks, whelks is this, this small sea slug that... that, that I mean, it can be disastrous to farmers who farms with oysters. Now, as believers in life, we always have whelks that try to suck our faith dry. Do you know that? You have those things that come and sit on top of you and just suck the life out of you. Now, especially in tough times like we face a pandemic, or we're facing wars, or we're facing crises in our lives, it feels like a whelk sucking us dry. But whelks can also be fear in your life, panic in your life, trauma, death, passivity, laziness, and I can go on and on and on. It can be a whelk that sucks the faith out of you as a Christian. Now today I want to speak about the whelk called doubt. How many of you have doubted in your life before? Come on. I mean, doubt is a real thing. No one of us is immune to doubt. It can happen to all of us. Listen to what James 1 verse 6 to 8 says. It says, but when, we, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind and unstable in all they do. How many of you, have you when you doubted, felt, man, I just feel unstable. I don't know what to do because so I run here or run there. I usually work with young campus students who are in love. They face a bunch of doubt. Do I love her? Do I not? Do I run this side? Do I run that side? They're just in love. But that's a different kind of doubt. Now when we doubt, it is a sign of losing our focus. It's losing our focus that that, that need to be on Jesus. Remember Peter walking on the water? He lost his focus. He started doubting He didn't look at Jesus. He looked at the waves and the doubt came in. And where there is doubt, there cannot be any faith. You see, if you have water and oil, it doesn't mix. It's the same with doubt and faith. It can't mix. It's either one or the other. There's an old saying that says a bad decision in faith is more likely to succeed than a good one in doubt. That's how important it is to make sure you are in faith and not let doubt come in to your life. Before we think it's only weak people who doubt, even the greatest heroes in the Bible struggled with doubt. They had to deal with it. See, like all challenges in life, we we've, we've, we've need to know how to handle it when it comes. Because if you don't handle it, it will handle you. Robert Owen said an incredible thing this week. He said, if you don't deal with your past, your past will deal with you. So deal with it. You see, if you don't deal with doubt in your life, your doubt will start dealing with you. Now like all challenges in life, we we've, we've need to know how to deal with it. And that's why I want to speak about this today. We've been looking at stories of Jesus and, uh, and how Jesus taught His disciples and us how to deal with the whelks in their lives and to steer the doubt away and how to focus their way and keep their eyes on him. Now, I want to read a story this morning, and I want to use a story of Jesus from Matthew 11, where Jesus meets two disciples of John, John the Baptist. Let's read it all together, all just together, and then I'll speak about it. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those who uh, with leprosy are cured. The death here, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is been preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who not fall away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go and see in the wilderness? He was a weak reed swayed. Was he a weak reed suede by every breath of the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in places and palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Isn't that a great piece of scripture? Jesus comes and and the disciples ask him this question because John had some doubt issues. Now let me ask this question. How many of you have doubted in something before? All our hands need to be up. Because we have doubted in something before. Maybe you doubted that the the taste of the Coke today is not the same as it yesterday. Maybe you doubted in your rugby team before. Because we have. Maybe you doubted in a friend. Or maybe you doubted your pastor before. I'm just testing you. We all have doubted before. We do. We have to deal with doubt. All of us. But let me ask the question. How many of you have doubted God before? This it's a good question. And I think in our hearts, everyone is like, yes, I have. We have doubted in God before. You see, in Jesus' eyes, John was the greatest. He was greater than Abraham. He was greater than Joseph. He was greater than Moses. He was greater than David. And in all the Old Testament characters, he was the greatest. Jesus said it. Yet John doubted. He doubted the most important thing of all. He doubted and questioned whether Jesus was really the Christ. Remember why John was there? To prepare the way. And now that this happened, he started doubting, sitting in jail. You see, John was in jail. After the baptism of Jesus, John, the baptism, baptists were thrown into jail because he criticized King Herod for marrying his, his brother's wife unrighteousness. And he took him and he threw him in jail and there John was sitting in jail. You see, he was in prison for about, the the scripture is not clear on that, but, but if you go and look at the commentaries, it's anything between six months and two years. Put you in a jail cell for six months and you start thinking about stuff. It's like, oh man, did I make a mistake? Did I miss this? Have I made the right decision? Lord, my whole purpose in life was to Prepare the way to the crop for the Christ. Mate, what if I made a, made a mistake? And here doubt came in, into his life. Now it's easy to read this and think, not think much of, of the story, but, but the truth is, it was nothing but unbelief from John's part. He just had unbelief. Now, before we judge him, Before we go to a place of judging John the Baptist, let's quickly, let me just give you a backdrop of who John was. You see, John the Baptist was a chosen and he was separated by God. It's quite incredible. He was chosen and separated. He was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. Did you know that not not even Jesus was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb? Only John. See, he lived in the desert, he was separated and focused on his purpose. So much focus that he lived in the desert and said, nothing else. I want to focus. His entire life was committed to preparing the way for the Christ. He spent 30 years preparing for his ministry that would only last six months. I mean, that just got to me. If you think you prepare 30 years for a race that will last you 10 minutes or six months, I mean, that is ridiculous. Committing his way for six months or for 30 years. Thousands of people from many nations came to the middle of nowhere to hear this man preach. And what did he preach? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From all over they came to listen to a man in ragged clothes in the desert who eats sprung karna. See God had revealed to him that he would know who the Christ was. Then he saw Jesus and he shouted out, Behold, the Lamb of God. When John baptized Jesus, then, I mean, this catches me. I've got a whole sermon on this this story. But when he baptized Jesus, the Spirit of God ascended on him like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It was a person. But like a dove descended upon Jesus. And then the voice of God spoke. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, if that doesn't change your life, you are really deaf. God spoke audibly, the spirit ascended. (laughs) And John was, guess what? John was right next to Jesus, holding him with the Spirit ascending. God speaking. This is an incredible moment. He heard God, heard God speak audibly. This is my son. At that time, John was absolutely certain that Jesus was the Christ. Who wouldn't be? Zero doubt. Zero doubt. He was so adamant about it that he said this in John in John 1.32. Listen to what he says. He says, Then John testifies, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one whom you see the Spirit descends and rests is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify he is the chosen one of God. That's John. I testify that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But then he went to prison and sat in a one-by-one or five-by-five cell for, say, a year a long time and guess what happened he started doubting he started doubting in it and I, I thought how can you doubt that moment how can you doubt an experience like that how can you lose focus from this end, being john the baptizer to sitting in prison and now doubting if god is really or christ is really the christ See, this says a number of things, but the the most important one is the fact that any one of us can doubt. No matter who you are. No matter the experience you have with God in your life. You can have the most powerful salvation that the world has ever seen, yet along the road start doubting if you are saved or not. If I ask you to raise your hand in this room and don't do that, but just to raise your hand, how many of you in a salvation moment felt that you had to get saved again? Most of us. You see, all of us come to a place where we doubt. And the amazing thing is to see how Jesus responded. Man, Jesus. He responded to John's doubt. And he said, you see, Jesus didn't go sisman. Cease! Tell John how can he do that? No, man, you faithless man. He didn't do that. He didn't say, John, you failed me. He didn't send his disciples back and say, Go and tell him he's a failure. Jesus didn't, didn't do that. But he also didn't respond the way we probably should have or should or should have responded. All he did was this. He said to John's disciples, he said, go back and tell him of the miracles. Tell him of the miracles you saw. And I think John will be blessed by that. You see, he just needs to believe again. That's it. That's what Jesus did. See, didn't, Jesus didn't try to make John feel better. He said, oh, John, I mean, I know your pain. It's tough, man. Let me write you a letter to ooze your feelings and your emotions and let's just make sure John let me just write this down I am the one don't worry you were right Jesus that says look at the miracles go and tell him that see Jesus didn't try to make feel John he didn't try to play with John's emotions but if you go back to the Old Testament and, and I always thought why did Jesus do this why couldn't he just tell John man, you were right you know he was family to Jesus. He could have just told him, Brother, you're right. Don't worry. I pray for you. You're right. You 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 prepared the way, I'm here. Now rest. Why didn't Jesus just do that? But if you go to the Old Testament prophecies that John knew, he knew the scriptures, he knew the prophecies, he preached it. Do you remember? He was a strong preacher. If you go back to the Old Testament prophecies, you see something that will help us understand how Jesus fixed John's focus. Listen to this Isaiah 35, verse 5 to 6. Now, this is scriptures that John has taught. It says, And when he comes, when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Sounds very familiar. Sounds like the answer Jesus gave to John's disciples. Exactly, by the way. See what Jesus did, he perfectly fulfilled the prophecy about himself and then he referred John back to the word. See, John, remember all the experiences? Experience is great. We need experiences with God. But he says, experience will fade away. We need the Word. You need the Word. And Jesus said, I want to refer you back to the Bible. I want to f- refer you back to the Scriptures. I want to refer you back to the ultimate truth. See, Jesus reminded John of the Scripture to deal with these doubts. He said, John, you want to deal with your doubts? Go to the Scriptures. Go to the Word. Go and read that Scriptures till the doubt goes and the truth comes. He probably didn't have a Bible, but I believe John had a good memory to remind himself. You see, all of us have Bibles lying around. Come on, the, the Christian families of today have m- many Bibles. D- gathering dust all over. Some of you are carrying Bibles all around. Come on, I had a friend who had a Bible in his car all the time. And I asked him, oh, no, do you actually read that Bible? Oh, no, no, it's just a Bible in my car. So do you think the Bible has more power than because it's in your car? You see, when you start reading that thing and it becomes live yeah, then the power comes. But all of us have Bibles. It gathers dust, and we never really read it. You see, that was Jesus' method to deal with doubt, is the word, is the scriptures. Now, when we are struggling with unbelief, we don't want the scripture. Come on. Let's just be honest here this morning. All of you struggling with unbelief, you're struggling through a moment, a tough moment. You don't want a scripture. Maybe you do, but I just want to be honest here. This you want a friend to come and sit with you and say, don't worry, my friend. You're okay. You want Jesus to wrap his arm around you and tell you verbally it will be okay. You want God to audibly speak to you because you are in an emotional hole. It's going tough. It is not nice. I know I'm speaking to all of you here. I'm not feeling like I'm gonna. I don't want to open my Bible now. I just want someone to tell me it's going to be okay. I'd rather want Jesus to appear to me right now. That would make me feel better. But overcoming doubt isn't just about feeling better. Can I just be honest? It is about getting back into faith. Not only that, getting back into faith comes only from getting the word into your life. Remember Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you want faith back into your life, start reading the word. Get the faith back into your life so that the doubt can go and the faith can come. Of everything Jesus could do for John, what did Jesus do? He sent the word back. He could have written him a letter. He could have sent his own disciples back with John's disciples to encourage John. No, no. All he did is he took the word and he sent it back to John. For he knew that this would stir John's spirit. It would stir up his spirit to overcome the doubt. And sometimes we face doubt and we want emotional things and we want to eat ice cream and we want to do things. But all you need is you need truth. To bring the faith back into your life. How many times do you feel broken and beaten up? How many times do we feel broken and beaten up by circumstances in our lives? Things that happen that is really tough that we need to face. You can't get around it. You just need to face this thing. All of us. There's a story that I love. <laughs> and it's not up there, but I'm just going to read it to you. It's a story of a, a two... A dad and his son, who's two farmers, was walking on the farm one day. And it's the story of a young farmer and his dad. They found a wooden well bucket behind the barn. That bucket that you threw in the well and you pulled the the water up. And they found a wooden well bucket behind the barn, lying in the sun. The young man thought it was useless at first because it's been lying in the sun, unused for a long time. And he could see the daylight between the wooden slats of the bucket. Certainly this thing would never hold water again. Never, he said to his dad. But the old man tied the bucket to the well rope and let it drop into the water below. And a couple of days after they came back and turned the crank to draw the bucket up. It was full of clear water from the well, not leaking a drop. You see, the water had rehydrated the wood slats until it fit together as originally designed, and the bucket was useful again. You see, life sometimes beats us up, and it sucks the faith out of you. It makes you feel that you are unused, unusable. But see, God designed us to be rehydrated by the Word. He designed you that way. Sometimes you feel dry and you feel, man, I just want to lie on my bed and do nothing. Because I feel like I'm cracked up. I'm beaten and hurt. And all we need is to be rehydrated by the water of the Word. You see, the Word turns our focus back to God. It brings our focus back to God. It feeds our faith. And guess what? The enemy will try to keep you in the sun. It will try to keep you away from the water. So that you can leak and dehydrate. That's where the enemy wants us. But we need the Word. The Word is our lifeline. The Word is the thing that brings life into our whole lives. When when doubt comes, you need to make sure what rehydrates you. I want to tell you a testimony today, and I just want to end with this. Not a long sermon, but most of you know that I was a I was a professional runner for a bunch of years, and I was a hurdler, and I was reaching the, the pinnacle of my of my career. It was the year 2000, and and it was the Olympic year. Olympics was in Sydney that year, and um and I qualified early in the season. I kept on qualifying, and um and John Marie will tell you. You've got an international qualifying standard, and then you've got a South African qualifying standard, which probably always is much tougher, because they want you to win a medal. But just to make it there, we just want to make it there before one minute medals. But anyway, so I started qualifying on the toughest standard early in the season. I started qualifying, qualifying, qualifying. And at that stage, a stage in, in my career in, in, in that year, I was probably the athlete who qualified the most to go to the Olympics that year on all the qualifying standards, so I thought well it is on, I'm just going and, and at the end of the season I got hurt, I, I was doing something in the gym and I thought I was stronger than I thought and I hurt my, it was a, a, a abdominal muscle that goes onto your pubic bone and it, it's ligaments and then you have a hernia, it out because of it and, and so I had a hernia exercise, and I could run with some pain medication, you just warm it up quite well and you run And then afterwards it gets sore again and you just have some medication and then, so I could run. I'm not going to miss my Olympic Games because of this and I'll fix it later on. And so I kept on running and so I got this serious injury and, and I trusted God to heal me because Olympics was coming. And I remember I was in the healing line every Saturday night at Kuyves van Reinsberger. We were in Potsch and there was healing services every night. People with cancer, people with AIDS, people with this got healed right next to me. Up, down, centered. It. And I stood in the middle and nothing. Nothing. God didn't touch me. He didn't heal me. He didn't do anything. And I started doubting. I started doubting in God's goodness for my life. Said, Lord, but you've given me these talents. Now you're leaving me dry and lying in the sun. And where are you? And it's not that as if I wasn't in the Word or I wasn't. I was just down and out. God saved me radically a, f- a number of years ago. I knew God. I was baptized in the Spirit. I was baptized. I knew God. I was in a great family. But here I'm standing in the toughest moment of my life. I, I've been preparing for this moment all my life. And God doesn't want to heal me. So long story short, I went to Europe, got sick, couldn't qualify again because you had to qualify six weeks before the Games. And uh, I was flying back on an airplane. I was really mad at God. And the doubt grew. And it grew more. So I went back home, as a good athlete does, and I rehabbed, got f- go, went for an operation. They fixed the hernia. And uh, took a, it took an old season that I missed 2002, I came back, first race of the season, same injury, same injury. Now you think, I mean, you've missed your dream, you've re-prepared. I mean, rehab is not fun. Eh? <laughs> it is really not fun. It is tough, because you're there in the physio's office, he kills you, then the biokineticist kills you, then you can't go to the track that you love, and you step through this, and the first race of the season, you're back, Yay! same injury so i decided okay lord i need to get out of here the doubt was growing i mean i was down in the dumps i was a bucket in the sun with slabs open i remember i just i remember i when i watched the, the olympics on tv with all my friends who got there with this one or two qualifying standards i psyched myself up to do rehab to get back to this point to get injured again So in that moment, I wanted to get away, and I wanted to get away from my home and my parents and all this home same environment that I was training in that reminds me of failure. And I just wanted to get away. And I was praying to a God that I know still loves me, but I doubt. Have you ever been there? I doubt. And I started praying. said, Lord, where should I go? I just need to get away. And I've got I had friends in London. And they said, maybe I should go to London. Just for a while and go and work out a master's degree in sports science. I could do a bunch of stuff so I can go and work for a while. And I was praying about this. It was 2002. And on my birthday that, that year, I remember it so well. On my birthday, the 20th of February, I sat with the Lord and I said, Lord, I am tired of this. I want to have an answer. I want to know where I need to go. I've got the dream to still run, but I just need to get away. Can you just tell me what to do, Father? I'm doubting. Open my Bible and God gave me this scripture. Numbers 10, verse 11 to 12. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, can I just remind you, that it was my birthday, 20th of February. It was 20, 20, 2002. The cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then Israel set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud rested. And in that moment I sat there and I said, I can't believe that God just spoke so specifically to me right in this moment. And every experience that I had with God in a moment with the word that brought truth into my life, the doubt was gone. And clarity came. And in one week I sold my car. A little mini that I bought myself. My dad couldn't afford to buy me a car. So it was my running money. I bought myself a little mini. And that was my car. I sold my car. I took the money of the car and bought a plane ticket. I went to London. And in six months in London. I had intense times with the Lord. I met Him personally. I met Jesus in a vision personally. Changed my life. I saw the love of God in way. I mean, I told some of the testimony last week. Remember, when I started making declarations. Why? Because I started bur- burying myself in the Word and started making declarations. And in that moment, God taught me how not to doubt. And every time the doubt came in, I said, "Wait, Lord. There's truth." And I started declaring the truth over my life. After six months, God spoke to me again and said, it's time to go home. I went home, started training again. Six months after that, I won a bronze medal at the World Student Games, which I didn't really even, not even plan to go there because I was injured. And how just God came and turned the tides. Turned the tides immediately in my life. You see, sometimes God doesn't use an emotional touch to deliver us from unbelief. We want it, but He doesn't always give it to us. See, He loves us so much that He's helping us to operate in the highest form of faith. Faith that takes Him at His Word. Where His Word comes and penetrates your life. Break through that boundaries, through the toughest of tough times. Where his word comes and guides you and kill the doubt and bring the faith. I want to encourage us this morning that as we step into challenge after challenge after challenge worldwide, personally, maybe you're going through challenges right now in your life, and the bucket feels dry. The slats in the bucket is open and you feel that no matter what's been poured into me, everything just flows out. I feel depressed, I feel anxious, I don't know where my life is going, I don't know this, and if I think about God, I don't know where He is. But see, the enemy wants you to doubt. He wants you to doubt in yourself. He wants you to doubt in who you are. I want to end with this, and we were standing at at the prayer night, Friday night, and as we were worshipping, what was that song again, can you remember? Uh, We sang. Oh my goodness. Blank. We sang a song that says that you will never fail me, God. You will never fail me. You will never fail me. And we have sang that song over and over and all the men. Man, it was powerful. <laughs> and God said to me straight up, He showed me a picture of Moses walking around in the desert with his sheep. And remember, he was walking in the desert with sheep because he was under condemnation because he killed a man in Egypt. And he fled. And now he's walking around in the desert with condemnation, with not liking himself, with doubt in his heart. And he saw, oh, a bush are burning. And he thought, maybe I should go and see. And as he walked close, the scripture says, as he walked closer to the bush, God spoke to him. And in that moment, God said to him, I will never fail you. I will never fail you. I will never leave you. And then I could hear Moses say the following. He said, But Lord, I am scared that I will fail you. And how many of us today in our lives come to a place where we feel, Lord, I know you will not fail me, but I am scared that I will fail you, Lord. And doubt comes in because that's not truth in our lives. And then listen to what God did. He started speaking truth. Into Moses' life. He says, I am who I am. I am the God who speaks to you. Let me give you. Take your staff and throw. Whatever is in your hand, I will use. And I will do miracles. But see, sometimes we look at the doubt and we look at the the, the little bit that we have. And God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And no matter if you feel that you will fail me, I will still never fail you. All you need to do is get the truth into your life. Invite that truth into your life. Take the word if you don't feel like it. Just take the word and just read it. And read it. Buy yourself a new Bible. Buy yourself a passion translation. Whatever. But just start reading the Bible from a new perspective. Get that truth into your life. And God will start rehydrating that bucket. So that the truth can set. And that life can come through you. Can we stand together? I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you are in control, Father. That you love us more than anything. You love us when we even, when, yet when we didn't even know you, you loved us. You paid the, the penalty for 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 our sin when we were still sinful. And Father, I pray this morning for every heart that is doubting. Every heart that feels far from you. Every bucket that is full of holes that feel that Lord, I don't even know if you pour into me that I'll hold this, because I'm just broken. I'm just pain. I just want to pray for you this morning. If you are here this morning and you feel that your bucket has been dehydrated by the sun, that's been bruised and battered and been kicked around by some stuff in your life, I want to pray for you today. The Holy Spirit will come and change the doubt into faith. To stir the faith in your life. This, this morning. To remind you of who you are when Moses stood in front of that bush. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know who he was. And he just felt like a failure. God said to him, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you. I've got a plan for your life. I just want to get this doubt out. And I'll get the truth back into your life. If that's you this morning, can we just keep our eyes closed Can you just put your hand on your heart? just say, Lord, this is me this morning. I feel beaten up. I feel it's not fair that I need to go through this. But yet the bush is burning in front of me and I can hear your voice. And I can know that you created me for faith. Lord, I pray for every heart this morning that is broken, that is feel that it's beaten up. Lord, I pray that you come and restore this morning. Father, I pray that you fix our focus this morning. That our focus will not be on experiences, although it's amazing, and we need that experience as Father. But that our focus will be restored by the truth of the word by the love that you've given us, Father. Father, I pray that you touch their hearts this morning. I pray that you touch them in a deep way. For every little bit of unbelief and doubt, place of feeling that, Lord, I'm just in this pit. I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. But that feeling and that, that emotion will be shifted into a place where the truth of God's word says that you are more than a conqueror. I've called you to do great things. I pray that emotion will shift right now. That depression thing will shift right now. That anxiety thing will shift right now. That your healing power will come and touch people this morning. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstalenbosch.co.za.